grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an awful, sensible logic to revenge. There's something about vengeance that makes sense in a very terrible way. Think of the most famous feud in American history. I'm not talking about the game show. The feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's a real thing. It wasn't just a Looney Tunes cartoon. It was a real thing. The Hatfields and the McCoys. One of the things that's so fascinating about that feud between these two families in West Virginia started in the 1800s is that they had so much in common. They were both, of course, southern families. They were both staunch advocates of the Confederacy. They both had this Scottish descent. And yet here they were at loggerheads. Nobody really knows exactly when or why the feud started. Okay. Uh, but, but we do know when and why it escalated. It was August 7th, 1888, and Tolbert McCoy went to find Elias Hatfield because Elias owed him some money. So Tolbert goes and he finds Elias and he says, hey, you owe me some bucks. And not surprisingly, a fight ensues, not only between those two, but between the families. And in the course of the scrum, Elias's brother Ellison is mortally wounded. So while Ellison is taken off to the hospital, the rest of the Hatfield gang goes and grabs Tolbert and a couple of his brothers and drags him out. Why? In order to exact their revenge. Then Tolbert and the boys' mom comes running out in order to try and beg and plead and stop those McCoy boys from doing what they were going, the Hatfield boys, from doing what they were going to do. But then one of the Hatfields, whose nickname, I kid you not, was Devil. Devil says these chilling words to Mrs. McCoy. Ma'am, yo needn't beg, and yo needn't cry. Why? Because all of her begging and pleading cannot stop the awful, sensible logic of revenge. Justice had to be done. And so it was. And so that cycle of vengeance continued for decades. Now, it might be easy for us to stand back and to think, well, gosh, that's an awful thing, that's a terrible thing, but thank God I'm not like that. Thank the Lord that we don't get mired in those same kinds of cycles of vengeance. Praise God that I don't hold a grudge. But is that always the case? I mean, yes, thank the Lord, more often than not, it does not come to violence. But it happens every day in our human lives. It happens between husbands and wives. One says a a hurtful word to the other, and that word gets lodged like a splinter in the soul. And rather than being dealt with, it's just left to fester 
and get worse and worse until months later it gets brought up again, but now it's not a splinter, now it's a log. It happens between friends, even best friends. I've seen it before. I know two women who were best friends for years, and one of them made a stray comment about the other one's parenting, and for five years afterward, they didn't talk to each other. It happens in our relationships. It happens even in the church, in the body of Christ. One person gets wronged, and the other one refuses to forgive. A line in the sand is drawn, and we say, now we're not going to cross this line. We would rather there be a continual rift between us. No, we might not get stuck in the same cycle of vengeance, at least in the way that the Hatfields and the McCoys did. But make no mistake, every single one of us is susceptible to the grudge, to the awful, sensible logic of vengeance. Now, I say all this kind of by way of prologue to our story from the Old Testament that we heard today. And really, it's just a glimpse. It's one sliver, the climactic moment of a much larger story, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Like I said at the beginning, many of us, we know it better from Broadway than we do from the Bible, but you probably have at least a general idea of why it is in this moment, Joseph's 11 brothers are cowering before him in fear. See, sometime before that, Joseph had elicited the jealousy of his brothers. He was the favored son of their father, Jacob. And Joseph, you know, to be fair, didn't do a great job of helping them not to be angry with him. Okay? I'll just leave it at that. And so these brothers, they grow more and more jealous, and they start thinking about, what do we got to do to get rid of this dreamer? So finally, they find an opportune moment when one day they're all out in the fields and they take Joseph and they all agree, what do we want to get rid of Joseph? When do we want it? Now! So they pick him up and they take him and they throw him into a well. But then they come up with an even better idea as some guys pass by. They sell him into slavery. Get Joseph out of there. Oh, thanks guys. Oh, wait. And he's taken away into slavery. Then Long story short, God is with Joseph all through that. Though he goes into slavery, goes into prison, God continues to be with Joseph and ultimately vindicates him. Joseph rises to power out in Egypt, becomes actually the second in command to Pharaoh. He's the guy who becomes in charge of all of the food of the kingdom, which becomes really important when a famine sets in in the land. All throughout that region, people are starving, hungry. They don't have any food. But Joseph does. And so Joseph's brothers have to come to him, although at first they don't even realize that it's him, to try and get some food. Now hold there. And just think about how rich this must have been for Joseph. Oh, the poetic justice in that moment. 
these guys that wronged me so badly, so grievously, now oh, they are going to get it. Not only are they not going to get any food, I'm going to put them in the slammer. I'm going to put them in a well. I'm going to see how they like it. They needn't beg and they needn't cry because now they are going to get their just desserts. And if he were to do that, we would all have to agree that would be just. Am I right? That is exactly what they deserve. That is precisely what they have coming. And that is just what Joseph will not do. Because Joseph has known and encountered a mercy that goes beyond the ways of this world, that transcends that awful cycle of vengeance. Joseph has come to know the senseless mercy of God. Because he knows in his heart of hearts that ultimately, he's guilty too. Just like every single one of us are. And so Joseph sees his brothers and refuses to repay them in kind. Instead, he repays them with kindness. Don't fear, he says. Don't fear. Because he's not going to do to them as they did to him. Instead, he is going to reflect and echo that same senseless mercy that he has received. I love this story of Joseph and his brothers for the way in which it, it illuminates and anticipates the good news of our Lord Jesus, our greater Joseph. See, Christ came, and he came to those who were his own, and yet his own did not receive him. Christ came to us in all of our sin, in all of our wrongdoing, and he would be perfectly justified in coming to us and bringing the justice of God. Would he not? And how many times, how many times do the disciples come to him in the course of the ministry and they say, Oh, Jesus, it's time to rain down fire on these guys. Or think about our Lord even worse. Think about our Lord on the cross. As now all of those who have put him there are mocking him and reviling him. How sweet, how poetic would that justice be in that moment if he were to call down legions of angels as indeed he can and to say to each and every one of them, you needn't beg and you needn't cry because this is what you deserve. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he lays down his life. He himself is crushed by that awful cycle of vengeance in order to put an end to it once and for all. He came not to condemn you and me. We stand condemned already. But in order to have mercy on us. You needn't beg and you needn't cry. Not because the situation is hopeless, but because it is completely and utterly hopeful in Christ, who has shown you this senseless mercy of God. 
It's a mercy that is powerful. Can do great things. Can even heal rifts between families that have been feuding for decades, centuries. It was only a few years ago that the Hatfields and the McCoys came together. Ronald McCoy, one of the great, 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 great descendants of Tolbert, issued a truce. And the two families got together in West Virginia. They wanted to put old animosities to rest. And Ron McCoy said that he didn't want their two families to symbolize violence and feuding and fighting anymore. And they wrote in this truce, we ask by God's grace and love that we be remembered as those bound together, the hearts of two families, to form a family of freedom. Friends, if the Hatfields and the McCoys can forgive and come together, if Christ Jesus can show mercy to you and me, how much more should that be true for us? Forgive one another. Let the grudges go. Christ bore the weight of all human grudges on his shoulders and buried them. They're not worth carrying any longer. And that cycle of vengeance only leads one place. Instead, forgive. Even, especially, when it seems totally illogical, even irresponsible, when it seems like the most senseless thing possible to show mercy. Because isn't that so like our Lord? Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.